0: Wherever you may be around the world, and thank you for your company once again on truth to you.org That's truth, number two, letteru.org. It is time for, well, this is the second episode of our brand new series, Kingdom Chronicles. Joining me, of course, is my very good friend and co-host of the Israel on My Mind show and uh, of the Tanakh tour of Israel, also with Rabbi Tovia Singer, a vice president of United Israel World Union, and the website is unitedisrael.org, Ross Nichols. G'day, mate. Hey, Jono. How are you? Doing very well, thank you, my friend. Last week. We touched on. Yes. This is what this is what we did. We did. Uh, we started in. I think was it First Samuel chapter eight, and we uh, continued on through uh, with Israel demanding a king like the nations was was one of the focuses right. that we took on last week's program. And action uh, described as wickedness, if I remember correctly, by God, mm-hmm. uh, and indeed a rejection of him being king over Israel. Uh, We also highlighted Israel's first king, and uh, that was probably, uh, I mean, most people would imagine, as we said, that the first king is Saul, and we would have started there. But no, we went back to Judges chapter 8. Yeah, uh,
1: we threw a a curveball, sort of tricked him a little bit, threw a (laughs) tricky question in there. That's
0: right. (laughs) The son of Gideon uh, of the tribe of Manasseh, uh, Avimelech. And uh, we talked about Mm -hmm. how he became the, the first king of Israel, at least in part. Uh, we have not touched on Deuteronomy 17. We may get there right. in, this, in this episode. Who knows? Let's wait and see. Mm-hmm. But that is on purpose. And uh, this this week, I think, do justice to the topic at hand. To truly start at the beginning, I think we need to start in the beginning. But sheet. Um, right. Not right. in Deuteronomy 17, but maybe in Genesis chapter 17. Do you want to start there? But the, I mean, you also mentioned last week you made a uh, passing mention of Melchizedek. I don't know if you want to kick off with that. Where would you like to go?
1: You know, that those are great. I think both of those need to go into today's episode. Absolutely. What I would like to do though, if you're okay with it, mm. I want to pick up you mentioned something last week and it's ha- it's kept me up at night. It's made me think and it's <laughs> this idea about the Messiah, because so many people... We're definitely going to go to Genesis. We're definitely going to talk about Melchizedek. and mm-hmm. and but, but something that you said last week about the Messiah, uh, because as you know, a lot of people talk about this dynastic, uh, especially when we get to David and so forth, mm-hmm. and the rulers that come from Judah and so forth. I, I want to begin... I, I want to begin with where we left off last week because shortly after 1 Samuel chapter 8, mm-hmm. we're introduced to uh, the first king in the period of the biblical monarchy, not Avimelech, but, but as we move into 1 Samuel 9. We get to meet the first one that is selected by God to be the ruler of the people. So I kind of want to pick up there because, Jono, I want to start looking a little bit in this episode with the idea of the anointed one and how that ties in with the monarchy because it's going to play—not only is it going to play into the biblical monarchy— but certainly in Judaism and Christianity, the Dead Sea Scrolls, all of these groups pick up this idea to where now, if we start talking about the monarchy, people immediately think of uh, this subject of the king mm-hmm. is the anointed of God. So if we could, let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 9, right. if that's all right with you. I, I think we just jump straight into no, We can absolutely do that. We'll and, kick off from verse 1. <clears throat> Well, yeah, we can either read it or we can just kind of describe the story about get, maybe give the first few verses just to sort of kind of yeah. get the context. Let me do that because we'll there is down. there is one
0: thing that I want to touch on a little later on when we do get into Genesis. And okay. the first verse of, of chapter 9 says there was a man of Benjamin. So it's an interesting thing mm. just, just to make a note that uh, Avi is of Manasseh. Uh, Shaul, Saul, is of Benjamin Uh, A choice and handsome son Oh, look at this A choice and handsome son Whose name was Saul there was uh, not a more handsome person than he among the children of Israel. From his shoulders upward, he was he was taller than, it sounds like me. He was taller than any. He,
1: oh, here we go. Just saying, about the height. I choice guess. and handsome and tall? Me. Mm-hmm. That's you. Of course it is. That is you. What are you talking about? I think it is. My, and he's it. a head taller than any other people. That's it. Pick up in verse 15, just read 15 and 16, because this is... Going on, as the story relates, it simultaneously, but as it were, behind the scenes for the search. So Saul is searching for the donkeys.
0: Yeah, I'm glad he said pick up in 15. I'm curious. I mean, this might be, you know, I always want to take you down rabbit trails. But uh, now the Lord had told Samuel in his ear. Mm. Do we ever read of the Lord telling anyone something in their ear? What does that mean to you? Uh, Well, I don't know. Let me look at that. Kind of Weird. The Lord told Samuel in his ear the day before Saul came, saying, tomorrow about this time, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him commander. Now, this is interesting, commander, um, because we've been talking king, king, king. But when it comes to God saying, okay, well, this, this is the guy, God refers to him as a commander. Over my people Israel, that He may save my my people from the uh, the hand of the Philistines. For I have looked
1: upon my people because of that cry that cries comes to me. You want me to keep going?
2: Uh huh. Right.
1: No. What? Let's stop right there for just a minute. First of all, that is an, a very interesting passage, and uh, I had not noticed that. But it, it literally it says that He revealed in the ear of Samuel, hmm. basically. So that that is. I, I'm not sure that I've seen that in the Hebrew. I'm going to have That's to curious, do a search. I'll put that. Uh, yeah, I'll put that in my notes to mm-hmm. look at that. Now, the interesting thing, though, about this—remember last week we were talking about the purpose of the king, uh, particularly in the ancient Middle uh, Near East in the biblical text—and one of the things that seems to come up quite frequently, certainly in the request for a king. They want someone, the people want someone, not only like the nations, but but they want someone who will go fight their battles for them. And in this particular passage, uh, when God reveals this to the ear of Samuel, he says, look, I'm going to give you, I'm going to tell you who it is that I want you to anoint. We're going to come back to this and really pick up so that he's going to be a nagid, a uh, it's typically translated prince over my people, He'll save my people from the hand of the Philistines. So it seems to be this warrior, once again, that we see from the very beginning of the monarchy. Now, what I'd like to pick up on is this command that he gives Samuel. He says that he's going to anoint him, mm-hmm. all right? So I really want to pick up and and kind of take a look at that. I think a lot of people talk about the anointed one, or in Hebrew, the Mashiach. Mm-hmm. Um, And and they have certain ideas. A lot of people have developed uh, their doctrines and their beliefs on what this Messiah figure is from the Hebrew Bible. This is where we really have to get into it to figure out what does the Bible really say. So here we have an example where God tells Samuel that he's going to anoint this person. Now, if we scroll down, Jono, um, I say scroll. I'm using an electronic version of the Bible. But if we go to 1 Samuel chapter 10, just read that first verse in 1 Samuel 10. Let's look at this anointing. Then Samuel took a flask of oil, I've got flask,
0: okay. and uh, poured it on his head and kissed him and said, uh, Is it not because the Lord has anointed you, commander, there's commander again, over his inheritance? Interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, when mm-hmm. you've departed from me and so on and so forth. Um, flask, what do you have?
1: Uh, I have flask as well in okay. the English. Let's see what that is. But, yeah, it well, is because uh, it's often so it's depicted, a container. It's, it's a container, but it's often depicted in uh, uh, pictures as a um, a horn, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, and, and it could be a horn, hmm. but it's a container with oil. And the anointing here, notice he says, Has not Jehovah anointed you? Notice Samuel pours the oil from the flask on the head of of Samuel. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, of Saul. So uh, the basic meaning, if we look at the root word for Mashiach mm-hmm. as, as it's typically translated, Hebrew would be Mashiach, which we would translate as the Messiah, literally one who is anointed. So Uh, The the idea in Hebrew, you can pour oil, you can rub oil, so it's to rub or to smear or to pour oil. Those actions are typically associated with the anointing process. So I started thinking, if we want to get to the genesis of the idea, which leads us back into the monarchy, Mm -hmm. we have to kind of go to the beginning and I wanted to share with our listeners the very first example of a, uh, an anointed one. All right. Now, again, this is a little bit tricky because people might be thinking a certain way. But go with me to Genesis 28, Jonah. Let's look. This is the first occurrence. What I did, I searched for the first occurrence of the word mashach which is the root word of the idea that we're talking about here. This is this is basically Jacob is, is leaving Beersheba, uh, and he, he's headed to Haran. Remember, his brother is out to get him. Uh, he's, he's headed out, and he takes a stone mm-hmm. from that place, sets it up, And he uses it to rest his head. He goes to sleep. He has this incredible dream. And in Hebrew, it says he envisions a sulam, which typically translated a ladder, Jacob's ladder. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And on the ladder are these messengers, they're ascending and descending. And and at the very top, he sees Jehovah. He's revealed in this dream about uh, the plan of God, basically, how he's going to hmm. take his descendants and so forth. They'll be scattered, but he's not going to leave him. Jacob wakes up from the sleep, realizes how awesome it is. He recognizes it's a holy place, and this is the part I wanted to get to. Mm. Uh, In verse 16, Jacob awoke from his sleep. Surely, Jehovah is present in this place, and I didn't know it. How awesome is this place? This is none other than the abode of God, the gateway to heaven. And he takes this pillar, and in verse 18, it says he pours oil on the top of it. And set it—oh, He's oh, you're right, it
0: set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. And the idea, I suppose, Ross, is to set it apart from the other stones, the, the other rocks, right?
1: Yeah, he's he's clearly marking it. And, hmm. and this idea of a matzevah, standing stone, becomes something uh, that's taboo later in the Torah— but at this point, he's marking this off. He calls this place Beit El, the House, House of El. Of El. Hmm. Yeah. Now, the you, you might say, but it doesn't say anointed there. He does pour oil on it, and we can make the association. But if you look at Genesis thirty-one, pick read verse thirteen. This is um, this is where we tie it together. Okay. Uh, so ooh, let me go back the page.
0: Right, and so it says, uh, I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed the
1: pillar and where you made a vow to me. Ross. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he anointed. So, it, And we know from Genesis 28 that the way he anointed was that he poured oil on it. So, So the idea that I want to get across to people is that the very act of declaring something sacred, holy, set apart— and the ceremony of pouring the oil on it is what is, in, in, in a way, it's making this object an anointed thing, an anointed thing. Now, I know people are thinking, yeah, but we're talking about people. Well, in the, the, the Torah, it doesn't matter what it is, whether it's an object or a person. If, if you work through Exodus and Leviticus, all these objects that are associated with, uh, with the holy, uh, in quotation marks, mm. the holy, whether it's the tabernacle or whatever. It could be wafers. There are wafers, wafers which are smeared with oil. These are anointed objects. So as you work through the idea, biblically and technically, the definition of a Messiah is something which has been dedicated for a sacred purpose, and it's been smeared or had oil poured on top of it. Now, the only person uh, that is a, a Messiah from a Torah standpoint mm-hmm. is what office? Ah, well, it's, it, it's, it's the high priest, really, isn't it? It's the priest, exactly. So, And, and I think a lot of people are looking—you know, we have to somehow figure out how we go from the priest— to the king, because if you look look at Exodus 29 as an example, Exodus 29 is a good example of this, and it's throughout Exodus and Leviticus, but primarily um, Exodus 29, and just read like 5 through 7, these are the mm. key passages that and uh, and then you shall take the garments so this is Aaron and his sons you should
0: take the garments and put them on Aaron and the robe uh, of the ephod and the ephod and the and the breastplate and girded on him uh, the intricately woven band of the of the ephod you shall put the turban on his head and you shall put the holy crown on on the turban and you shall take the anointing oil pour it on his on his head and anoint him
1: mm-hmm. yeah so it's even a special oil which we talk about um, in Exodus 30. See, all of this is right here together if you go, and, and we're skipping over. There are a lot of passages mm. which talk about the priesthood and, and the priest being the anointed ones. But but look at that oil. Look at what it says in chapter 30, verse 22 through 33.
0: All oh, right, and, and here's the details on it. Okay, so moreover, the Lord Space of Moses mm-hmm. saying, uh, also, take for yourself quality spices, five – this sounds like biblical beard balm. Um, I spi- was just thinking. <laughs> 500 shekels of liquid myrrh and uh, half as much of as sweet-smelling uh, sweet cinnamon. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. 250 shekels. Okay, so uh, 250 shekels of sweet-smelling cane, uh, mm-hmm. 500 shekels of – Cassia, according to the shekel mm-hmm. of the sanctuary, and a hin of olive oil. It's but I'm a, sure it's Galilee green olive oil that's, that's used here. a s- significant amount. Uh, and you shall make from these a holy anointing, anointing oil, an ointment compounded according to the art of the perfumer. It shall be a holy anointing oil.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and,
0: and then notice what, what all is anointed with it. Right. So with it you shall anoint the, the tabernacle of meeting, uh, the Ark of the Testimony, the Tabernacle, uh, and and its all its utensils, the lampstand, the utensils, the uh, altar of incense, the altar of uh, burnt offering, and it, so everything, everything in there is, is an would appear. Everything
1: in here, and and so that's one of the ideas that I think people need to catch is is that this anointing ceremony involves a special compound that is prescribed according to the Torah, and it's used to anoint all of these things and therefore technically and biblically all of these things are anointed including Aaron the priests now yep now a lot of people say yeah but they were anointed but we're talking about the Messiah you hear people make an emphasis like the Messiah mm. this is a singular, Prophetic eschatological figure. So there's this there's this constant reference to Hamashiach You know, I I hear this all the time. It's all over Facebook Mm -hmm. and uh, a lot of people make a big deal about this So what people might not know though, Jono, is that the 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 actual literal rendering of the Hebrew Hamashiach only occurs four times in all of the Bible not just the Torah all the Bible Mm -hmm. And those passages are all in Leviticus. Look at look at Leviticus. We might as well just go through those just sure. so people have the references. Uh, Leviticus chapter 4, uh, verse 3 is the first occurrence. Im hakoan ha If the priest... all the anointed priest. If the anointed priest, the anointed priest, ends, the anointed priest. priest. I'm with you. Now, the reason people don't notice this a lot is because of variations in translation. Like mine says, if it is... The anointed priest who sins Which that's that's an accurate translation So Hamashiach Is really an adjective hmm. So you're talking about the priest And it's almost as if the Hebrew is saying If the priest You know, the anointed one hmm. sins uh, Which that's a whole other subject When you talk about the anointed one who sins The hmm. Messiah who sins Is really what it's saying Okay. Now verse 5 is the next one uh, These are just references to Hakohen Hamashiach And then the anointed priest shall take some of the bull's blood and bring it to the tabernacle of meeting. Okay, so again, the anointed priest. Again, and it's the same in verse 16, and it's the same in chapter 6 and verse 15. Actually, it's verse 22 in the English, just... Uh, we can read those, but there are four references in Leviticus, mm-hmm. Leviticus 4.3, 4.5, 4.16, and then 6.15, or verse 22 in English, verse uh, 15 in Hebrew, all of which have the phrase hakoan hamashiach, the anointed priest. So, I think that as we work through what we see biblically is that it's simply the priest which is anointed. I think we probably have to go to a break. We do have to go to a break. My goodness, we'll be back right after these
0: messages. Dear listeners, don't go away. Another thing, we were talking, you and I, Tevye, we were talking to uh, uh, Ross Nichols earlier in the week. We are so
2: excited. Why are we excited, my friend? Because we're going to be going on a tour through the Bible, and we're going to walk literally in the footsteps of where the prophets preached. We're going, this coming November, with the help of God, uh, we're going on a tour of folks from around the world coming together in the Holy Land to explore the state, the land of Israel through scriptures, bring your Bibles with you because we're going to the holiest places on earth. We're coming. We're going to explore and probe the places where heaven touched earth. Nothing makes your Bible come to life, does it? Nothing makes your Bible
0: come to life like walking through the land and being where it happened.
2: You know, I'll say this. I'll say this to you, the listener who's never been to Israel, that prepare yourself because you will not be the same person when mm. you leave. That means realize that, when you get on that flight from wherever you're coming from whether you're coming from melbourne or you're coming from new york realize that when you when you return back to that airport uh, you will be a different person, so that mm-hmm. old you will be the last of vestige of it. Because the transition, the transfer, the the complete spiritual transition that occurs when you step foot in the Holy Land will be something remarkable, and it all. will be
0: life changing without a doubt. It's going. It's very exciting. You can get the details on truthtoyou.org. dot org. Go to the website, and you'll see israel tour just click on that and necessary details are there my friend and we are so excited ross is very excited it's november you've got plenty of time folks but you need to there's only limited seats available so you need to secure your place with a deposit and the details are there unitedisrael.org unitedisrael.org is the website of united israel
1: world union of which ross is a vice president what's happening there ross I'll tell you, Jono, the most exciting things are going on at United Israel, chief of which is that every Saturday morning, every Shabbat at Mm -hmm. 1030 a.m. Central Standard Time in the States. Now, I almost can tell you what time that is in Australia, but it's not as comfortable (laughs) for you. To join me Saturday morning at 10.30 a.m. Central Standard Time. But you, but you Time. I, get, I get to watch the recording every morning. That's right. When yeah. you get up, you drink your coffee, you, you get to watch it. But what we do is every Saturday morning at 10.30, I teach for about an hour uh, of whatever topic I feel uh, inspired to teach on. And and after the, uh, the teaching, we take a break here at my local assembly We eat a lovely lunch with my friends, and then we go back live. Now, this is on Facebook, on the United Israel Facebook page, and it's also live-streamed on YouTube. And as you said, Jono, for those fine friends in other parts of the world that just the timing doesn't work out, these are archived on our website, on YouTube, and our Facebook page. So I just want to invite people to join us, United Israel. (laughs) Coming up this November, dear listeners, the Tanakh Tour, the annual Tanakh Tour, with
0: myself, Ross Nichols, and Rabbi Tovia Singer. If you want to join us, you can. They you better can do be it quick. quick.
1: You better do it quick.
0: Jump on it quick. <laughs> really, really quick. Uh, there's a couple of places left, and we would love to have you join us, dear listeners. Simply go to truthtoyou.org. There's space left on the Tanakh Tour. We would love for you to come with us.
1: And who wouldn't want to go, Jono? Think about it. Being in Israel for nine days with you, me, Rabbi Singer, oh my goodness, we're talking Bible, we're seeing the sights. Literally you're walking out the pages of the Bible. Who wouldn't want to do that?
0: Welcome back to your listeners. You are listening to Kingdom Chronicles with myself and Ross Nichols here on Truth to You. That's Truth Number Two. letteru.org. dot org. G'day, Ross. Look, we um, left the. Uh, we went to the break talking about uh, what does it mean to be anointed. What is the anointing oil? Um, yep. what, what is, where does it appear uh, throughout the Torah? Where is mm-hmm. like the first mentions and so on and so forth? Here is a question: Who is okay. the? Who, when it comes to the king. Who
1: is the anointer? Who, who does the anointing? Uh, that's an excellent question. Let me ask you this, so kind of piggyback off of that. Go on. It's, it's this idea, people make such a big deal about the anointed one. Your question poses something to really think about. Which is more important? Uh, I don't know if important is the right way to put it, but should we say that? We could say, uh, which is more important? The anointed one, that is the Messiah or the one who anoints that one?
0: Yeah, that's a really good question because uh, whoever is doing the
1: anointing has a divine authority by which to anoint, right? Is that fair? Right, right. And, and so like, for instance, the passage you read earlier in First Samuel 10, Samuel does the anointing. He actually pours the oil, but notice his question. Remember, his question was, has not the Lord anointed you? Mm. So it's like, is now I guess a question to you, Jono, would be, given that, is it that the prophet assumes sort of by proxy uh, the position of Jehovah when he acts this out? Is it one of these situations where uh, on the plane of the earth, this one is imparting or some sort of way, uh, demonstrating that God's anointing rests upon yeah. this person by a th- symbolic act, I guess.
0: I think, I don't think that that would be, un- I mean, it's it's interesting. We often read uh, a prophet will speak in the first person of God, uh, mm. speaking mm-hmm. in the authority of God. Why not also act accordingly? But the interesting thing about the prophet, I mean, as you've already mentioned, uh, the, the high priesthood is dynastic, uh, the, the descendants mm-hmm. of Aaron. As too, we will find out, becomes the uh, uh, the kingship. And right, uh, as right. already indicated in in last week's program, when the men of Shechem said uh, to, to, well, when Israel said to Gideon, you reign yeah. over us and your sons and your sons' sons. That's right. The dynasty of, yeah. of Gideon will be our king. And he's, he, and, and there's that story. Uh, the prophet, not mm. so much. The prophet is not um, chosen that way. And, and the descendants of the prophets aren't necessarily
1: uh, following in their uh, appointment that, that's right that's right and that's a good point remember in Amos Amos makes the appeal when he when he goes before the king in his day and he prophesies in the north the, he's told look you you go prophesy in Judah go to the south go prophesy mm-hmm. in that kingdom and he makes this point, he, remember Amos says, I'm not a prophet nor the son of a prophet. Mm-hmm. So this idea, it, it's very important, but the prophet nonetheless, however these prophets are chosen, we have examples, you know, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, um, uh, Isaiah, we have these calls of the prophets recorded. In the case of Moses, which obviously in Deuteronomy 34, it says, never has arisen a prophet like Moses. Mm-hmm. So Moses is the one who anoints Aaron and his sons. Can we look at that while we're yeah, sure. uh, talking about the anointer? Let's look at um, Exodus 28, I believe. Um Yep. And, and the address is to Moses in verse 40. So so look at 40 and 41, Exodus 28. It's a good example. For Aaron's sons, you shall make tunics,
0: and you shall make uh, sashes for them, and you shall make for them hats and uh, for glory and beauty, uh, so that you shall mm-hmm. put them on Aaron, uh, your brother, and, and on his sons with him, you shall anoint them, consecrate them, and sanctify them, uh, that they may minister... To me, as priests, so then this is this is an interesting thing. Why we're here, by the way, minister to me as mm-hmm. priests. Does that go some distance to? Uh, in fact, this very verse does it go some distance to
1: to define what what uh, the the meaning of Cohen is? Uh it's a good point. It's a good point. Yeah, I think most often when I've looked it up, and uh, it's Cohen is somehow uh, tied to the word. That's generally, if you look it up in a lexicon, it's going to be like establish. Uh, is that what you get when you? I mean, it's yeah. It, it's this idea that they're sort of like well, the the verbs used there, are very interested, uh, ordain, consecrate, and they will serve. Yeah, to to, to uh, I suppose to appoint for service.
0: I, I would have if I had to say that's the definition of of Cohen as a word. Um, I would have pointed to that. Uh, It's interesting here also that the anointing, you, you shall anoint them, consecrate them and sanctify them. I suppose uh, anoint,
1: consecrate, and sanctify is done through the uh, the act of pouring the oil upon them? That's the way I understand yeah. it. It seems to be that this symbolizes uh, an act which is ordered by heaven almost. It's, okay. it's, it's a, a heavenly mission that's enacted by, in this case, the prophet uh, Moses. And the same is in chapter 29 verse 7 i mean this is if you go through and just look for the word anoint or anointing mm. uh, it's throughout the torah i'm just going to read verse um, 1 first and 29 and this okay. is what you shall do to them uh, to
0: hallow them or or i suppose set them apart uh, for ministering mm-hmm. to me as priests. And you said, verse 7, uh, we, it says, and you shall take the anointing
1: oil, pour it on his head, and anoint him. Yep. Okay? yep. Now, we we have one picture. It just, it just came to my mind. Go on. uh, Psalm 133 describes in good detail, I think, this, um, this anointing of Aaron. Psalm 133. Huh. And a lot of people know this passage. This, uh, yeah, this always. Motto. Do you know what? I often wonder
0: about this. Um, okay, so which verse? Oh, well, then let me start from the beginning. Behold, how good yeah. it is and how pleasant it is for brethren to, to dwell together in unity. Uh, verse two it is like the precious oil upon the head running down over the beard, um, the beard of Aaron running down the edges of his garments. I've I got to be honest.
2: Yep. I wouldn't I would be keen
0: on that. I mean if you came up behind me and poured a whole lot of oil all over my head and down through my beard and all over my clothes, I'd be like, dude, you're not not winning points yeah, here. <laughs> well you just
1: you just want to you just want to know if it can be like applied in small amounts. Not, <laughs> not like this. It depends on how much anointing you want, though, evidently. I mean this is it this is interesting to, to your point. This is a a lot of oil. It's mm. running down his beard and onto his collars. This is uh, this is an interesting and it's a highly
0: the way that it's described here. It's something that is depicted as something highly
1: desirable, right? Yeah, this is uh, this is an interesting thing. And and when we go on the Tanakh tour and we we go in the north and you can see Mount Hermon in the distance. And so this picture emerges. And and the writer, uh, it's a Psalm of David. He wants you to understand this association with uh, the dew of Herman and and this anointing ceremony of Aaron. So when we talk about the anointer, it's Moses who pours the oil on the priest, right. and it's Samuel who pours the oil upon Saul. Right. Now, you asked me a question last week, uh, and you were right, and I didn't remember. Can you share with the listeners what—you remember what you asked me about uh, the anointing? Ross, I, I am
0: right about so many things, I just can't remember which one it was. What was I, <laughs>
1: this one's surprising. I couldn't remember <laughs> this, but you did. You told was... me. Uh, you, you 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 asked me. Do you remember? No, I don't. Which one? I what? know you're right about it. You asked me about uh, is it always a prophet who oh. anoints or I made the statement that it's the prophet who anoints and you corrected me and you said someone it, else can anoint. Is it
0: always? A, and the other one, the other question is, are prophets sometimes anointed as well? I do believe that the answer is yes, but off the top of my head, I can't remember which prophets are recorded as, as having been anointed, but it's not. Uh, it doesn't seem to be the rule by which they're appointed necessarily. But yeah, I think. Quite often, uh, more often than not, it is a, it is a prophet because the prophet, as I mentioned before, um, there's no there's no dynasty of the prophet. It's mm-hmm. it, the prophet is an independent, free agent chosen by God, and quite often, reluctantly. Um, no one really yep. puts up their hand and says, "Hey, can I be a prophet? That'd be great." Because they're asked to do you know things that really you and I just don't want to do. But the, nevertheless, he, it is the appointment of the prophet to uh, to anoint the king. Is there is there a, an anomaly?
1: Yeah. Well, there there to your point, uh, and and I just had another thought. We've got to look at because I want your take on something. But in First Kings, now this is jumping ahead a little bit in the story. But in First Kings one verses thirty two through forty. The story, the context is that David is—he's—he uh, said that Solomon will follow him. Thus, the beginning of the dynasty of David. Uh, he is uh, basically designated that it will be Solomon. This is the story.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, when you get to verse thirty, you can read thirty-two through forty if you want, and because it answers. Uh-huh. Who does the anointing here? And then that led me to another question. So, Well, it says,
0: uh, King David said, Call to me Zadok, the priest, Natan, the prophet. And who's this? Um, Benaiah, the son of mm-hmm. Yehudiah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ye- or oh, sorry, Yehoiada. Wow, there's an name. Yehoiada, yes. Thank you. <laughs> so they came before the king, and the king said to them, Take with you the servants of the Lord, and have Solomon, my son, ride on his own mule, and, and take him down to Gihon, and let Zadok... The priest and the time the prophet anoints him king over Israel, and blow the horn, the shofar, and say, "Long live, the, long live King Solomon!" Then you shall come up after him, and he shall come and sit on my throne, and he shall be king in my place, where I have appointed him to be ruler over Israel and Judah. Uh, it goes on to say, "You said in verse forty, was it? Uh, yeah, verse uh yeah thirty nine. Okay, and then Zadok the priest took a horn. Okay, so there's the horn of oil." from the tabernacle, okay, and that's where it's, okay, and anointed Solomon mm-hmm. and they blew the shofar and all the people said, long live King Solomon. So in this particular case, uh, it was a doke that, that anointed Solomon. This is, boy, this is a fascinating, now this is, we can't get bogged down in this, but you and I have had hours long right. conversation and this is going to be discussion for another time uh, in regards to not only, you know, the, the kingship, but but also the priesthood and- uh, right. <laughs> and at and, and this particular time, there were two
1: high priests. We can't get into it Yes, now. that's right. Yeah, that, But that's an exciting topic we'll have to get into. I, I did have this thought, though, because you brought this up in a conversation. We weren't recording. We were just having a fun chat uh, about there are times where a priest uh, can do the anointing. And then the question becomes, again, for maybe a later show, Deuteronomy 18, where it talks about The prophet and I will Mm -hmm. raise up a prophet. Now, there are two schools of of thought, as you know. Yeah. Is it going to be is this predicting a singular coming figure who is the prophet like Moses or is it more uh, proper to look at that in terms of any time I raise up a prophet? this is going to be um, the rule for that am, prophet, Deuteronomy 18.
0: I am totally
1: down with the idea that that is all about Joshua, just saying it now. Okay, all right, yeah. Well, it's interesting because the language does appear uh, in various contexts, but we'll, we'll have to think about that. But the, one of the points is, uh, notice he says, I will raise up for you a prophet like you, mm-hmm from among your brothers. Now how literally do we take that? Do we does that mean from the Levites because Moses is a Levite sure. or do you think it's more broad in the sense of uh, the children of Israel which well, it could be?
0: If right. I remember correctly uh Oh, wow. Now, I was going to say that um, Joshua was Judah, but he wasn't, was he? Where, where was Joshua from? Ephraim. Thank Ephraim. you. Yes, he was.
1: There you go. Mm-hmm. All right. But again, you know, the first uh, the first king, as you pointed out earlier, the first king, Saul, is, uh, you know, he's, he's not a
0: from Judah either. And yeah. Gideon was of the tribe of Manasseh, as was Avimelech, obviously. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. All right.
1: Now, the idea that we want to get to as we move into this subject matter is that the Messiah, the anointed one, Mm -hmm. uh, the king is designated as the Lord's anointed, you might say, or Jehovah's anointed to be more literal to the Hebrew. Remember all of those stories where David is being pursued by Saul before the transition where he actually assumed, and one of the things that he says quite often Uh, I, I have several places, First Samuel 24, 1 Samuel 26. When he's on the run, he says, I will not lift my hand mm-hmm. against Jehovah's Messiah. That's yep. really what he's saying. That's really you what know, he's saying. You, even, even after Saul it. dies, uh, he, he uh, has a go at
0: the chap who, who claims to have uh, assisted him. Exactly. We'll get there soon enough. Uh, but he cites mm-hmm. that again,
1: yeah. Now we do get we do get especially in the Psalms a lot of these are written by David not all obviously but we do have several Psalms which are referred to variously by scholars either as royal Psalms or uh, coronation hymns mm-hmm. but you you know Psalm two is one example of that just. Yeah. If we can look at Psalm 2, this is an interesting psalm in terms of the king and the anointed being used together in the same passage. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The
0: kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, mm-hmm. let us break their bonds and uh, in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh the Lord shall hold them in derision. He shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them with his deep, disple- deep displeasure. Yet I have mm-hmm. set my king on my holy hill of Zion,
1: Ross. Yeah. I, this is one of those passages, you know, I know a lot of people uh, theologically begin to merge uh, in later religious tradition, the idea of the Messiah the anointed, and God, and they conflate the two, so that in many people's theology, the Messiah, the anointed one, is in fact some way God. But it's very clear in the Hebrew Bible the two are distinct, and this is one example. The kings of the nations here are depicted as in a, a rage against Uh, both the Lord, Jehovah, and his anointed one. See, it's a separate, very separate. And then you have God speaking where he says, I have basically installed my king on Zion. Uh, So this idea of keeping them separate. Now, look, there are many, many Psalms, Psalm 18, 20, 21, 45, quite a few of these that deal with uh, the royal Psalms, we'll call them. But one in particular I think we ought to touch on, and you brought it up at the front of the show, and that's Psalm 110 because it mentions a Ah. very mysterious figure that is known to us in only two passages.
0: Yeah, it's it's a curious psalm. It really is. Uh, Psalm 110. uh, I I hesitate to read this for a minute. Let me me swap Bibles for a minute because it bothers me, Ross. No, I I know (laughs) what you're saying. Okay, so this is what it says. Uh, Of David, a psalm, the Lord said to my Lord, now I have to stop there uh, and just point out that it says the Lord in capitals said to my Lord in lowercase, so that's two different words.
1: Just quickly, Ross, give us give us that. That's right. The first one, the Lord in all caps. Generally, English translators follow this rule. If you see Lord, L-O-R-D, all caps, it's generally a form of the divine name in Hebrew represented by four letters, yod he vav So this would be the name. Jewish hmm. uh, Orthodox Jewish people would say Hashem or Adonai because this is God's name, whereas the other Lord is my master. So hmm. Jehovah said, to my master is right. one way you could say that. And that's better. Mm-hmm. I sit at my right hand while I make your enemies your footstool.
0: Uh, the Lord mm-hmm. will stretch forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Uh, and scepter, Just let's just mark that because we, we're going to be talking about that later. On. I don't know if we'll get to that right. this uh, episode. But hold sway over your enemies. Your people uh, come forward willingly on the day of battle in majestic holiness from the womb, uh, from the dawn. Yours was the dew of youth. Um verse 4, the Lord, in capitals, Jehovah has sworn uh-huh. and will not relent, you are a priest forever, a rightful king by my decree. Yeah. Shall I continue? Yeah, well, pick up
1: the name. Ah, well, uh, is there a name? There's the question. Yeah, see, see in, in Hebrew... Now now this is strange now people that know Hebrew can see this translations are all over the place mm. so for instance, I just pulled up the English uh, standard version which is generally fairly literal um i I don't know were you reading from the Jps maybe i was I was reading from the um yeah the
0: the Jewish study Bible and uh, every okay. other I mean every single Christian translation will um, have a little bit of what I would refer to as trickering the text. Um uh-huh. and it will say in verse four, uh, the Lord has sworn and will not relent, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek, uh, the order order okay. being uh, in reference to a priesthood. but there's I don't believe mm. that that can be supported,
1: Ross. Well, I' tell you what in in Hebrew it says uh, the second portion of that verse, the first portion says that Jehovah has sworn he will not relent, uh, you are a priest l'olam forever, or for an indeterminate age, if you choose. Al mm-hmm. divrati Now, al divrati is the the part that people are struggling with. Does that mean according to my word? After the order, you know, Devar in Hebrew means a word. Means word. That's right. So it it could be, but but whatever it means in a very accurate translation, this is pointing us, it says Molkitzetic. Now, JPS, what they do is they don't personalize that name because they're not trying to point you back necessarily to Psalm 110. However, the rabbis discuss this, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, Rashi gets into this, quite a few. there if you look at the notes in the Jewish study Bible, mm. so they're not afraid to associate it with uh, Tzedek. But if you do a search, um uh, in other words, the JPS translates this as not a personal name. I'm just going to do a quick search. I pulled it up. And the the word malkezetic, it's hyphenated. Uh, it only occurs twice: Genesis fourteen eighteen mm-hmm. and Psalm one ten. Right. Now, this is not just a Christian thing. This is one of the points that I wanted to bring sure, up. Sure. When when you meet in Genesis 14 with Malkitsetic, we don't know where he comes from. He shows up. That that's not doesn't prove that he's anything other than a regular king. Sure. But let's look at that in Genesis 14 mm-hmm. because Again, there are only two passages where Melchizedek is mentioned. Sure. And in Genesis 14, we mentioned it last week. There's this big battle. All these kings are coming forth. Mm. And if you look down at verse uh, 18. 18, yep. It says, uh, yep. then
0: Melchizedek, king of Salem. So we know that much about him. He's the king of Salem. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. and, and just to, to to back up, there was... Um, uh, the kings, I guess you could say, the United Nations formed uh, yes. descended upon <laughs> right. descended upon Sodom and and Gomorrah, uh, pillaged them, right, and just took you know all this stuff, including the people or a lot of them, and just uh, including Lot, uh, Abram's uh, mm-hmm. nephew, and just headed north, and and off they went. And it came to uh, to the ears of Abram, and he and he said, "Well, that's not on. Uh, better go and get him." So he had three hundred odd servants. Uh, yep. Born in his, you know, and 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 uh, he, he armed them and they were trained, you know. It, it says they all practice their Krav Maga in their spare time. That's good. And
2: That's off they right. off right. they
0: went, and they retrieved all of all of these, um, all that was taken, and brought it on back. Uh, and here we find in mm-hmm. verse eighteen, Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Uh, he now apparently he was the
1: priest Ross of El Elion. Yes, which, and- go for it. No, I was just going to say I I love this this particular figure Melchizedek, whoever this is, he's the king of Salem, which a lot of people associate Jerusalem with this Salem, based on Psalm seventy six three. There are other passages, but this is believed by some to be an ancient name for Jerusalem. But but nonetheless, he he is called a king, Melech Salem. But it says he is a Kohen, mm-hmm. La El Elyon, for God Most High, mm-hmm. if you will. Yep. And so, even in his kingship, he's he's called a king, but it's emphasized that he's a priest. Right now one of the things that happens we see this not only in judaism but we see it in christianity we see it in the dead sea scrolls is because there is minimal information about melchizedek people tend to whenever there's a vacuum people love to fill it that's it they love to create stories and you know come up with things that aren't based on the text but there's interest in this because in the christian bible in the christian new testament as it's called, uh, Hebrews chapter seven gets into Melchizedek, and you know it really associates it with Jesus and so forth and so on. But the Dead Sea Scrolls have a very interesting scroll, and I've got before me the complete Dead Sea Scrolls in English by of mm-hmm. Vermish. Uh, I have several editions, but this is one. Just. Just to touch on a couple of things. Uh, This scroll is is referred to among the scholars as 11Q13. Uh, This uh, identifies the cave it was found in and so forth. But the title given to it by the uh, scholar, the first one who published it in 1965, titled it The Heavenly Prince Melchizedek. So by the time the scrolls are written... Melchizedek has taken on this heavenly figure. He has become a heavenly deliverer, Mm. identical with the archangel Michael. He is the head of the sons of heaven or the gods of justice. I've just picked up on that
0: here. I've just grabbed mine off the shelf as well, and I I see that, um,
1: yeah, Archangel of Michael and the just. Mm -hmm. There's a song off. Keep going, yeah. Yeah, so this... I guess the the point is, if we read Genesis 14, even if we read Psalm 110, we don't get the idea that this is necessarily a heavenly being, but that's certainly what happens. But the interesting thing for me is something that you and I have had many discussions on late nights that we didn't record. We're going to hopefully get into some of this. Because we're looking also at where the priesthood and monarchy come together, because this comes to such a point that at times it seems to to merge. So, for instance, Melchizedek is a king, but he's also referred to as a priest. Mm-hmm. Now, could this be a clue? Um, or could we somehow connect this with oh, something? Do you know what you could, just
0: did? You just said,
1: could this be a clue
0: that you're gonna to have to a clue of what? And in, in what way is it a clue? This is this is where I, you, you know, <laughs> This is where you and I start to have some really interesting conversations. Come on.
1: Yeah, I, I just I think that it's interesting. We, we have several things, and I've written about this, and I've taught on this, and mm. sometimes people, the hair on their neck stands up. I'm not even trying to identify a singular person. What I'm looking at, though, is where the monarchy and the, the priesthood connect. We have examples, for instance, where the king wears an ephod. We have examples yeah, where where David, for instance, wears an ephod. We, we have a passage, Jono, you know, in Second Samuel eight eighteen. 18. Yep. Now, people lose their mind on this because it says in the Hebrew that David's sons were priests. It does, yeah. David's sons. Yeah, it says, kohanim. They yep. were kohanim. Now, what most translations do is they go, no, 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 can't have that. Priests have to be Levitical. Mm-hmm. So David is from Judah. So they, tra- interestingly enough, almost everywhere else that Kohen shows up, it's translated priest. Right. But when you get to 2 Samuel eight eighteen, and it says David's sons were Kohanim. They go, oh, that means ministers of the court are. They get crazy with it. They forget that Cohen means priest. Okay, now, yes, I'm but wondering.
0: <laughs> Cohen Cohen Go means ahead. priest, but what does Cohen mean? I mean, we, we only moments ago we defined Cohen. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And and uh, and and you wouldn't say, of course, going back if we're if we're pinning the possibility of this onto uh, Genesis chapter fourteen and using Melchizedek as a as a precedent, if you like, uh, we know for certain that that Melchizedek was not. Um, uh, we're not to understand that the king of Salem was a
1: Levitical priest, right? You, that's not what you're saying. Oh, I, I didn't say Levitical. I didn't say Levitical. In fact, that's my question. That's well, see, my question. Well, no, Well, no. Does a priest, yeah. well, of course, he's not even, Melchizedek isn't even a descendant of Abraham uh, not as far to as begin we, with. Yeah, so he, that's right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, what we know is that the first couple of times that we
0: see the word in, in Bereshit, we see it applied to uh, Joseph's wife's father, I think, um, mm-hmm. that he is a priest of, of On? Was it Ot? I can't remember the name of the... Right, right. Okay. Yep, that's right. And uh, also, what was it? The priest of Midian, Yitro? Yeah. Uh, yep. Obviously, both of those guys are not Levitical priests. Now, here we are with Melchizedek.
1: Again, I think it's fair to assume he's not a Levitical <laughs> priest.
0: So where, are you, where are you going yeah.
1: with this? Well, the first thing I'm saying is you keep saying Levitical priest, Hmm. All right, you keep you. You've said that, and I, and that's what a lot of people do. Is I'm not saying that David's sons are Levitical priests either. Okay, what I'm saying is is that does a priest have to be Levitical? And I know there are verses where people talk. Well, yeah, sure, well, it says in well, Leviticus. I think, it says I think it to
0: answer, <laughs> I think to answer that, you. I mean, it's it's kind of not it's not a fair question because. Uh, when you're talking about um, the, the Levites and the Kohenim, okay, well, they are priests. You are, you're talking within the, 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 that particular context, and their role is, is specifically defined. Um, you could also say that Israel is, you know, God says Israel is a kingdom of priests, but obviously, right, He's not saying right. you're a kingdom of Levites. Right, that's not what's being
1: said. Right. and so the context is different. And that's different. not what I'm saying either. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. Key, the only key that I'm making it when I mention a clue is what does it? Because we're we're also talking as we talk about the king, we're also talking about the priest as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and and what I want to do is I want to see where those two intersect. Does uh, every time that we see Cohen? Do we have to, if it's not Levitical, mm-hmm. do we have to say, well, it can't mean priest then? Because what people do is they automatically say, well, it's not Levitical. It, I'm not saying. It what can I'm saying, absolutely though, is- mean priest. It can absolutely mean priest. But what I think it
0: can't mean is that they are to fulfill the roles that are specific to, uh, to a Levite, I think. I think that would be fair. But right. I, I think it can absolutely mean, I think you can put the word priest on it. And I think that that would mean that that, that uh, perhaps a king fulfills a uh, a specific role, uh, you know, that he is appointed for. Uh, I think that would be fair. But I don't see why uh, Melchizedek would then be significant to to the fact that the that the word priest can be used, you know, in different
1: um, uh, offices. If you like, do, do you follow me? One of the things. Yeah, I do. And one of the things that I'm bringing this up, I'm bringing up for two reasons. One, to at least touch on why the ancient world associated and why so many translations struggle with according to the order of or Mm. however you translate that. Because one group says, no, that's somebody monkeying with the text. Is it or is it? In other words, is this person in Psalm 110 that the New Testament, the Christian writings go crazy with, that Mm. the Dead Sea Scrolls really pick up on, why is that creating the stir? Now, the second reason I bring it up for is because as we get into this, the monarchy, we are going to see incidents where a king behaves in a way that. Is infr—let's just say infringing on the uh, understanding that we have of what is that line that they are not to cross. Sure. So we're, I think we ought to get into that. Yeah. Well, um, I, don't, I think that's a—that's a
0: fair. I mean, that in, in itself is fair speculation, and it may well exist. I, I would just uh, when when we get to um, in regards to uh, Psalm one hundred and ten, a priesthood. H double It's just not in the the text. It's not in like when you say like an order, like a, uh, an, a the order of knights or something like that. Uh, it's not represented in the text. And if I remember correctly, I think what happens in Christian translations is that they do a little bit of cherry picking from the uh, from the Greek. I think the Greek translation in order to try and make this work, but it's absolutely not represented in the Hebrew. And as you mentioned, it is uh, represented by the word Devrati. Which which really just means my word. It's a it's a more poetic way of saying my word, and it only is mentioned, I think, in one or two other places in in
1: the uh, Tanakh. And if I remember correctly, I think they're in the Le- Ecclesiastes, um, uh, which I, which which is in. I'm sorry, I missed that part. Debrati. I was looking at the Jewish translation uh, because in Hebrew, yeah. here in yeah in Psalm one ten in the in, in the JPS, yeah, they take it a totally different. I don't know what they're looking at, but they're uh, you are a rightful king. Uh, you are a priest forever. A rightful king by my decree. Ah, well, so see, I think that there, where it says yeah, by my difficulty,
0: no, I don't think there is. I think it's, that's quite accurate. By my decree, my decree is uh, you know, the words that's representing Devrati, right? My word. Debrati. Oh, I get that. I
1: get yeah, that. So that's that's
0: mm-hmm. where we're at. Rightful king, as you as you pointed out in our, in, in episode number one, is the definition or or righteous king. Uh,
1: the definition of, of Melchizedek is that fair? Uh, yeah, that's, that that could be. If you're translating it, I guess it is interesting though that the only two occurrences of Melchizedek with a hyphen Genesis fourteen eighteen Psalm one ten four mm. is it the same? A lot of people believe that it is. We may have to go into another show just to kind of I talk reckon... about this a little bit further. What one other thing though, because yeah. I know we've we've basically run out of time. Out of time. There <laughs> is another passage uh, in Zechariah chapter six and verse thirteen. And in this particular passage, translations are also all over the place, but it tends to at least bring up the idea. Uh, that the king and the priest touch, and, and I'll just say it like that. You know, when we, when we get into, okay, um, if you go to 6, uh, let's see if I need to start in verse 12, uh, and say to him, this is to Jehozadak, uh, the, yep. the high priest, say to him, thus says the Lord of hosts, Jehovah of hosts, behold, a man whose name is Tzemach, or branch, For he shall branch out from his place and he shall build the temple of Jehovah. It is he who shall sit uh, or it is he who shall build the temple of Jehovah and shall bear bear royal honor and shall sit and rule on his throne. And there shall be a priest on his throne and the council of peace shall shall be between them both. Now, the question that comes up in some of these uh, commentaries and people look at this, uh, of course, some would say this is historical, it has no prophetic significance, uh, but when you get into some of these messianic figures, if you will, the branch and who is this, uh, it at least introduces again the subject of king and priest, Yep. If not the same figure as two that work in tandem, which is probably a easier way to look at it. But but remember now we do have in the history of the monarchy. When we get later on into the program, we start talking about the Hashmonaeans, and uh, you yeah, you do have a merging do. of king and priest. Now, yeah. where do they get that idea, John? The whole reason of bringing all this up is they have to find a biblical connection in order for them to do what they do. This is my contention. Does that make sense? They have to find texts that say, yeah, okay, I'm a king, but I'm also a priest. So that's the
0: idea. I reckon, do you know what? This is so funny because we have run out of time and I really, really want to pick up here. Uh, I thought we could probably just brush over Melchizedek, but we we definitely can't. We have to go into some detail, and I think that's the way that we're going to begin episode number three. And we still haven't got to Deuteronomy chapter 17, do listen, so you're going to have to wait for that. But we do have to do... And you know what? Uh, there's there's a number of other passages uh, that I... See in my mind we're gonna to touch on these little passages. We gotta we've gotta got mention this and we'll just briefly discuss it. But there's a gold mine in all of these things. So uh, but I know a- it. There's and it. and I
1: know you after we get offline you're gonna to wanna to keep me up all night debating this and we're gonna to have to I've got to go to the house and get some sleep. So we're gonna to have to do this. Next week, live on our show. <laughs>
0: this is where these these this is where you know conversations between myself and Ross get really really fun. But we will also touch on uh, Judah, the blessing of uh, Jacob to his sons. That, that's where I mentioned uh, the word scepter. There is a little bit of homework for you, dear listeners. And also, uh, as you mentioned to me off air, uh, Ross, so where, where God says to Abram and that and Sarah that, that kings will come from. And we're going to be that's all in Bereshire, and We're going to be touching on that. That'll be next week dear listeners thanks for tuning in so have a great week Hey, dear listeners, I'm John O'Vandor, a proud member of the Israel News Talk Radio crew and the Australian Jewish Association. Have you ever listened to the Tamar Yonah show and thought to yourself, oh, I wish I could tour Israel with Tamar and other like minded friends? Well, now you can. I'm here to let you know that INTR and the AJA are partnering together to bring you the 2020 Vision Israel Tour. Sidestep the fake news and view Israel with perfect clarity on the 2020 Vision Israel Tour, and you can join not only Tamar Yonah and other INTR staff, but the president of the Australian Jewish Association, Dr. David Adler. I and my co-host of the Israel on my Mind show, Ross Nichols, will be there. Our good friend Rabbi Tovia Singer will be joining us, and the world's best Israeli tour guide, Gershon Portnoy, are just some of the special guests and Israel advocates you'll be meeting that help make Israel great. So what are you waiting for? Simply go to IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com and click on the link to secure your place on the 2020 Vision Israel Tour. Don't miss out on the early bird discount. Tickets limited. (laughs)